the immunization status of this individual um, is currently unknown. Public health alert with new cases of measles and whooping cough. I really think we should be looking at 12 stories minimum. The debate over more density on Vancouver's west side. And I'm just so thankful for them for being there. Plus, rescuers honored for their life-saving actions. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. The call for mandatory vaccinations keeps on growing, and it's not just because the number of confirmed measles cases has increased. As Julia Foy reports, health officials in BC are also warning about another highly contagious childhood disease. Yeah, he got him. <laughs> Maple Ridge mom Katie Clun is happy that her pro-vaccination online petition has grown to 45,000 signatures in less than a month. If you don't want to vaccinate, just don't go to public school. I think that's a good leave, like a, a consequence. You know, you have there needs to be consequences for actions. The measles outbreak in BC hasn't stopped. Interior Health Authority says a new case has been confirmed in 100 Mile House. We in Interior Health have very high confidence that this individual contracted the disease outside of British Columbia um, through travel. And this case um, at this point in time um, is not connected to the cases in the Lower Mainland. Officials warn that the infected person traveled to several restaurants and a popular resort between February 28th and March the 3rd. They have no idea how many people may have been exposed to the disease. I had the measles as a child and um, it's, it's pretty scary. Uh, very sick at the time and it can have lasting effects. I'm hoping young children around the area are getting uh, you know, their, their inoculations and stuff like that. It's unfortunate that not everybody has had uh, their vaccinations up to date because otherwise we wouldn't have this problem. That brings the total to 18 confirmed cases of measles. But now a second childhood disease is also causing concern. Vancouver Coastal Health says a child at Ecole Laura Secord Elementary School has come down with whooping cough, also known as pertussis. Vancouver Island Health is also reporting that two children have contracted the disease in Duncan and Saanich. That's another horrible, horrible one, especially for babies. The news is disappointing for Clun, who says both diseases pose a risk to her unborn child due in July. So you've already taken a vaccination specifically to try and protect your baby? Well, I've got the, pres I've got the prescription. It's for third trimester, so I have a couple more weeks left um, to protect this baby as much as I can since the herd clearly isn't. Julia Foy, Global News. Now to a stranger danger warning from North Vancouver RCMP following a sexual assault. Police releasing this composite sketch of a male suspect after a woman was allegedly attacked in her own home. It happened a week and a half ago in the early afternoon of Wednesday, February 27th, after allowing a man she did not know to use the washroom in her house in the upper Capilano area. At this time, police don't believe the public is in any danger, but are reminding everyone not to allow strangers into their homes. Langley RCMP are looking for the suspects involved in a stabbing late last night. Police say a 20-year-old Surrey man was taken to hospital with non-life-threatening injuries after a fight broke out. Two groups of people who knew each other had left the Oak and Thorn public house near the Sandman Hotel at around 11.30 when they got into a fight in the parking lot. The victim is known to police and alcohol is believed to be a factor 
Investigators are going over surveillance footage to try to identify those involved. In Penticton, police are looking for a man who assaulted a woman who's eight months pregnant. It happened more than two weeks ago on Wednesday, February 20th. Police say a woman was walking through a parking lot on Calgary Avenue. She tried to walk past a man with a shopping cart, but he began pushing it at her legs and then hit her in the face, leaving her with a swollen eye. Police say several people came to her rescue as the suspect disappeared along the Kettle Valley Rail Trail. He's described as being white, five foot nine, and in his early to mid-twenties. He was wearing dark squared rim glasses and a blue and yellow toque. Public consultations are underway on a new area plan for Vancouver's Broadway corridor ahead of the subway mega project. A SkyTrain link to UBC will eventually follow, but as Kristen Robinson reports, some living in an adjacent transit hub say the development going up around them needs to be even bigger in terms of the future growth expected. Sebastian Zane concerned about a plan for 67 units of market housing with ground floor retail in his Kitsilano neighborhood. He's not against it. He just wants more density. I really think we should be looking at 12 stories minimum. If current zoning rules reflected housing demand, Zane, who works as an urban analyst, says a tower would be built here. Instead, the developer proposing four stories, the maximum allowable height in this low-rise landscape. I think the problem is with rules that don't treat central transit hubs like Fourth McDonald, like the central uh, parts of the city that they are. We shouldn't be keeping people out of parts of the city like this. Four story seems like a waste. They're just going to tear it down again in 10 years. I kind of agree it's a waste of space if it's kind of short. Already a key stop for bus service to UBC in downtown Vancouver, the area adjacent to the Broadway corridor only expected to grow. The fully funded $2.8 billion subway extension to Arbuta Street forging ahead and an eventual SkyTrain link to UBC approved by the Mayor's Council and backed by Vancouver City Council. That calls for more density than there currently is. UBC economist Tom Davidoff says a mix of eight-plus stories on main routes and moderate density in residential neighborhoods makes sense. Increase from single-family plus laneway home to townhome, maybe small apartment, interspersed throughout those streets, and then expand uh, a little bit more density along the arterials as well. Vancouver's mayor says any future development in Kitsilano will reflect demand and public consultation. But the main thing is, is that we have to make sure that the planning is done right for the, for the community. Zane fears sites like this will be vastly underutilized over the next half century unless rezoning applications for taller buildings are entertained. We really need to be throwing the doors open to places like Kitsilano where you can walk to all your amenities. Right now we're doing the opposite. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Kamloops RCMP are on the hunt for two suspects in the robbery of an illegal pot shop. The armed suspects hit a cannabis dispensary on Victoria Avenue at about 6.30 Thursday night. Police say two masked men entered the store, one brandishing a knife and the other holding a long gun. No one was hurt, but the pair fled in a pickup truck with cash and cannabis. The first suspect armed with a long gun is described as a First Nations man. He was wearing a red-brimmed ball cap, a beige tube jacket and a toque. The second suspect had a knife and is taller and larger than the first man. He was wearing beige pants and had a piercing under his eye described as two jewels similar to a belly button style 
piercing. If you recognize either man, you're asked to call Kamloops RCMP. The suspect's truck was later recovered and had been reported stolen from Chase. Some Lumbee residents have been very vocal in their opposition to a proposed medical cannabis factory near their homes with fears the plant would affect their property values. But at least one local politician says the proposed plant is the equivalent to farming and he would welcome it to his neighborhood. Here's Kelly Hayes. They say there's strength in numbers and that's why so many people showed up to voice their concerns about a proposed medical marijuana facility just outside of Lumbee. A company, Green Amber, wants to build a 100,000-square-foot facility here, right next to Kevin Brown's house. He says the proposed plant would be the equivalent of dropping a big box store next to his home. If you drop a Walmart next to someone's house, does the value of that house go up? And that's how big this building is. Well, I'm here because we have a vacant property right next door to us as well. And when I saw what Kevin would be looking at out his kitchen window, I thought that could happen next door to me as well. It could happen anywhere around this neighborhood. Not many people are going to want to buy when they stare down across a facility of this size. Trish Corey and her husband Mike Cadden's home looks over the area where the plant is proposed. They're trying to sell their home, but say the offers have dried up. The first week we had an offer coming in and that's when it was exposed what was happening and we actually lost our offer and pretty much every interested person has walked away. Yeah, I can see both sides of the story. Despite the objections from affected residents, the Regional District of North Okanagan approved the application. Regional Director Mike Fairburn supports it. What would you do if the plan was proposed to be beside your property? I, uh, from day one, I would endorse it uh, thoroughly. I mean, uh, we're in the business here of agriculture, developing agriculture, and uh, we're here to uh, promote agriculture. And uh, commercial agriculture is uh, what we do. Because the proposed plant is on agriculture land, the application still has to be approved by the Agriculture Land Commission. Kelly Hayes, Global News, okay. Lumbee. A Penticton man has been arrested after a drug bust in the Okanagan. After a two-week investigation, RCMP say they uncovered a large-scale drug operation in a Penticton home. More than half a pound of cocaine was seized, along with about six ounces of methamphetamines and two ounces of fentanyl. The value of the drugs is estimated at about $35,000. Several firearms and a stolen motorcycle were also found on the property. A 39-year-old man was taken into custody and is facing a number of drug and weapons charges. Charges have now been laid in connection with a double carjacking in Sanish. Last Sunday night, police say the suspect first tried to steal a man's vehicle at an Esso gas station, but fled on a bike when witnesses intervened. Moments later, 29-year-old Stephen Wilson is accused of forcing his way into this Honda Civic in a Tim Hortons parking lot while a father and his daughter were still inside. Wilson allegedly attacked the father who lost control of the car. The vehicle then struck three other cars and a tree before hitting a retaining wall. Wilson was restrained by witnesses at the scene before his arrest. He remains in custody, charged with robbery and assault causing bodily harm. For the 107th straight year, the Life Saving Society recognized Good Samaritans who didn't think twice of trying to come to the rescue of those drowning in local waters. Among those being honored this year, members of a Persian hiking group and those trying to save a woman attending her daughter's wedding in Tofino. Here's Nadia Stewart.
They are a pair of humble heroes still blown away by the Life Saving Society's decision to honor them for their bravery. It's a brilliant moment for me, for my whole life, and I'm happy about that. May 2017, Zahedi and Majudi were having a picnic with the Persian hikers of Vancouver in Golden Ears Park when they saw Asia Tamlin clinging to a rock in Gold Creek after she jumped in to save her dog, Raven. By the time paramedics arrived, the pair had helped Tamlet to safety. Zahedi says he'd do it again in a heartbeat. This is what we are for. We are all from the same sense. We are all from the same material. So this is what we are supposed to be. There was no hesitation for these six last May in Tofino. Anne Wittenberg and her daughter Rachel Iman were floating on their surfboards when a wave overtook them. Strangers jumped in to help, rescuing mother and daughter, performing CPR. Anne didn't survive. Despite being overwhelmed with grief, Victoria went ahead with her wedding just hours after her mother's death. Both daughters say their mother was there with them and it's what she would have wanted. The family says they'll forever be grateful. We're just so thankful. We just wanted to show them. Like, I have my sister, and I'm just so thankful for them for being there. Dale Miller with the Life Saving Society says it's important to recognize these everyday British Columbians for their selflessness. Most of these are reluctant heroes. They, they don't think they are heroes. But we know that they saved a life. Adios to Global News. He was a ca colorful character who didn't pay all of his bills on time. And today, the debt list for one of Vancouver's founders was sold to the highest bidder. Nine different people, all local history buffs, bid on Gassy Jack Dayton's debt list in an online auction. The artifact eventually sold for $2,200. Gassy Jack's statue is a key monument in Gastown, where he opened a saloon in the 1860s. Gassy Jack sold and ran riverboats, but it was the hotel and bar that made him famous. People even began coming into Gastown, into Gassystown. Eventually, it was given the more formal name of Vancouver. When Gassy Jack died, he left behind 5000 in debt. When everything was paid, the remaining $300 went to his mother. Out of the tens of thousands of fans attending this weekend's Rugby Sevens tournament in Vancouver, a select group has a very personal reason to cheer on Team Canada to victory. Here's Jill Bennett with more on the players' campaign to help a four-year-old Abbotsford girl. For Graham McCurry, it's a day to enjoy some of the best rugby in the world, taking in the Rugby Sevens at BC Place. But in the stands and on the pitch, there is something else going on. Those orange shirts and orange shoelaces are all to support Graham's four-and-a-half-year-old daughter, Paisley, as she fights leukemia. To know that there's people who are reaching out to, to try to help you and support you and let you know that they're there for you, it's thank them, thank you. The initiative took off when a former rugby teammate of Graham's in Abbotsford heard about Paisley's illness and wanted to do something to help. Jake Teal, who now plays for Canada, started wearing orange laces at the South American Rugby Sevens. Things escalated from there. We've got people wearing orange laces in, in England, people wearing orange laces all over the country, and it's incredible to see that there's that much support in the rugby community for a little girl. While Paisley, still going through treatment, likely doesn't know just how much the rugby community has rallied for her, she does know what's happening. 
she will take her time to make sure that she can count orange laces. And she does smile. And he's wearing orange laces for me. Very humbling to know that there's so many people out there who are trying to support me and trying to wish the best for, for her. Them seeing it, helping them maybe pick up their mood a little bit, Lauren Graham and Ann Paisley is, is enough for me. And if, I, if, that, if wearing laces that one time does that, then I don't know why I would never do it again. So while the Rugby Sevens is a huge draw for thousands of people dressed up and ready to take in the event, for the McCrory family, it's also a big reminder of what has become much more than a game. Their rugby family. Jill Bennett, Global News. The UBC Thunderbirds baseball team giving the ultimate tribute today to an illustrious former member. Jeff Francis was on hand to watch as his number 16 jersey was officially retired between a doubleheader out at UBC this afternoon. The 38-year-old set 11 team records and was twice named an NAIA first team All-American in his three seasons at UBC en route to an 11-year big league career. The North Delta native was only the second Canadian to ever start a World Series game back in 2007 for the Colorado Rockies against the Boston Red Sox. Got here and I was a little more nervous than I thought I'd be because I've seen people now that uh, I haven't seen for a long time. And that means a lot. They come back for something like this. So I think it goes to show what kind of team we had and what kind of uh, relationships we all built while we were here. And, you know, it's pretty special. So... Uh, I'm really thankful for everything that's that's happening today. Wow, what an honor. Yeah, I, I remember vividly when he got drafted in the first round of the really? uh, Major League Draft back in the early 2000s, turned into a really good pitcher, made a few million <laughs> in his time, and got to the World Series. They didn't win the World Series, but uh, and just a genuine, genuine guy. So sure. it's, a, it's a wonderful honor for him. and great he's basically the face of that ubc program which oh, sure. has been fantastic since uh, he's been drafted that's the team to join that are the best today. in canada i would say yeah. <laughs> fantastic well since we're talking sports you got a few things there going on so much going on i got my eyes <laughs> going you. everywhere uh of course the rugby sevens we just saw a great yeah. story so much energy at bc place canada has won two of their three games that are waiting now to see if they can get some help if they're going to advance to the championship side or have to be on the consolation side tomorrow. So we have highlights of that. Whitecaps were in Utah to take on Real Salt Lake, and we will set up the Canucks, who are home to Vegas tonight. So there's lots going on. All those fans watching rugby all day, they can take their gorilla suits and go watch the Canucks game. <laughs> Just from one game yeah, to the next. Sure. Uh, we have friends at that game tonight, so yeah, I think it's going to be a good one. It'll be one. awesome, yeah. All right. And a uh, beautiful day. Yes, for everybody that was out and about for any yeah. of the activities happening across town today. It was fantastic. Uh, plenty of sunshine and clear skies. We'll continue to see that trend leading into the latter half of the weekend. A quick glance at a few of the numbers across the province. It's going to cool off once again with the clear skies overnight and for the early morning hours. Whistler currently sitting at the freezing mark. Areas near Prince George at minus two. A bit of active weather, a blip in the forecast. We do have some snow that is going to develop across the northern half of the province. A snowfall warning is in effect. I'll talk more about that and when that system is going to push across the southern half of the province and when we'll start to see a change too. Winter that won't let go. Absolutely. <laughs> right to the bitter end. Okay, thanks to both of you. We'll check in in a few minutes. Welcome back. In Calgary, two trains derailed inside the city limits, raising concerns among safety advocates. Global's Michael King reports. This was the scene Saturday morning near Ogden Road in southeast Calgary. Eyewitnesses say two trains traveling in the same direction collided before jumping the tracks. Just as the two tracks come side by side, I saw the one train hit the cars 
and they both started rocking and uh, seen some started to derail, so that's when I called 911. EMS and fire crews responded to the crash, but left shortly after Canadian Pacific took over the investigation. In a statement, CP Rail says there were no injuries and there are no public safety concerns. Early investigation shows the cause was human error, but would not elaborate on what led to the crash. This derailment follows a rash of dangerous rail incidents, including a fatal crash that killed three CP Rail employees early February. While this one isn't as serious as other recent derailments, it's the frequency that has some safety advocates concerned. We're starting to see more and more of these incidents happening without, without um, Transport Canada um, providing itself with the resources to be able to provide a robust oversight. This is the second reported derailment inside Calgary city limits this year. In January, a number of rail cars left the tracks in Aleth Yards. No injuries were reported there either. The Transportation Safety Board says that derailment is also still under investigation. Michael King, Global News. Here's more on that fatal field derailment. Canadian National and Canadian Pacific are appealing a federal order that required railways to use handbrakes on all trains stopped on mountain slopes. CB says the application of handbrakes introduces additional risks and will have unintended consequences. It says it will comply with the order throughout the appeals process. The derailment killed three crew members. In Edmonton this week, police have laid what's believed to be the city's first charge of cannabis-impaired driving causing death. In September 2018, an SUV hit a scooter. Its 58-year-old female driver was killed. A series of tests were conducted trying to determine the driver's heart rate and blood pressure as well as a urine sample. Six months later, the result came back confirming the presence of cannabis in the 45-year-old driver's system. There's no other fatal investigations in the city, but police are still waiting for toxicology results in 48 other cases where police suspected drivers were high. In Seattle, police say they've busted a major human trafficking and prostitution ring that was operating out of nearly a dozen massage parlors. Officers raided the parlors located in the city's Chinatown International District on February 28th after a three-year investigation. Police say they freed 26 women from deplorable conditions. At least five people have been arrested. Police are reaching out to other cities to see if it's connected to other enterprises, including the high-profile bust of massage parlors in Florida that included the arrest of the owner of the New England Patriots. R. Kelly left a Chicago jail this morning after a child support payment he owed was paid on his behalf. The singer was freed three days after a judge ordered him in custody until he paid the $161,000 owing. Kelly was charged last month with 10 counts of aggravated sexual abuse pertaining to four women, including three who were minors when the alleged abuse occurred. He was denied wrongdoing and pleaded not guilty to the charges. To Health Matters Now, in a frightening case in Oregon where an unvaccinated six-year-old boy nearly died after contracting tetanus, a disease thought to be largely eradicated in the U.S. since widespread immunization began in the 1940s. The boy was hospitalized for two months in 2017. He had cut himself on the forehead while playing on his family's farm. The cut was washed and the gash sewn up, but the tetanus bacteria, which lives in soil, began poisoning his body. He suffered severe muscle spasms and lockjaw and couldn't breathe on his own. He ended up spending 57 days in hospital. 
The medical bill was nearly $1 million. The child received an emergency dose of the tetanus vaccine, but his parents refused to allow a second dose or any other childhood shots after he recovered. With proper medical care, he still needed six weeks of mechanical ventilation, so being on a respirator, and a lot of medication in order to control the spasms and some of the other problems that the tetanus was causing in his body. What can we do to to convey that you know the reason why we are so such strong supporters of immunization is to prevent the diseases that we of these kids that we take care of and that it is safe you know i'm a mother my kids vaccines are all up to date health officials in the pacific northwest have been dealing with a measles outbreak since january 1st 70 people in southwest washington and a handful in portland have been diagnosed Lawmakers in both states are considering bills that would end non-medical exemptions for routine childhood vaccines. Thanks for joining us. As we prepare to change our clocks before we go to bed tonight, Washington State is one step closer to year-round daylight saving. The State House passed a measure that would make it daylight saving all year and now goes to the Senate, which has its own bill on the topic. And both the Senate and House measures would only take effect if the U.S. Congress passes legislation allowing states to observe it year-round. Premier John Horgan has said he would be interested in considering a permanent change to daylight saving if Washington, Oregon, and California were to move in unison on the matter. Well, wouldn't that be something, Yvonne, if we could all get an agreement and we don't have to change the clocks anymore? It'd be easier to keep track. It'd be easier to keep track. I do like the, long, the change, though, with the longer nights, though, as we approach the, little, the next half. Well, maybe you could lobby for that change. <laughs> yes, absolutely. It was beautiful out there. We've got plenty of sunshine. A great start to the weekend, and we'll continue to see this for the latter half as well. A few photos that were sent in. Thank you, Glenn. This is a shot taken in Powell River today, and a beautiful shot on the island in Ladysmith taken from Susan. So thank you so much for sending in those photos. A great shot this evening also on our tower cam with the sunset. Temperatures pleasant there today. We got up to 7 as the high. We're currently sitting at 5 with the northwesterly wind at 17 kilometers per hour. A glance at the numbers though will drop off once again with the clear skies overnight tonight. Areas near Kelowna already sitting at the freezing mark. The peace at minus 5 and along the north coast for Prince Rupert at 5 degrees. Now a break across the central and southern half of the province continues for Sunday but this is the the next weather maker that is going to push in across the province. The north coast will start to see some rain as early as the morning and then by the afternoon and evening we are seeing snow across uh, coastal sections but it'll be inland. Snowfall warning is in effect. Tara Stewart included within that anywhere between 15 and up to 20 centimeters that'll continue all the way towards your Monday afternoon. So snowfall across the north coast. Inland areas, most areas along the water will still be staying as rain and then the system moves across the southern half of the province and most of the moisture by the afternoon for our Monday and early Tuesdays when we'll see it across the south coast, interior sections by the evening hours on Monday. For the piece tomorrow, a few isolated flurries, a chilly start to the morning with the wind chill at minus 19. Whitehorse tomorrow, isolated flurries and gusty winds at times up to 70 kilometers per hour. It's the north coast, inland areas 15 and up to 20 centimeters. We'll see the bulk of the moisture for both Sunday, Monday and then easing off on Tuesday. Caribou and Central Interior 
a few flurries changing over to showers for the morning tomorrow. Columbia and Kootenai region remaining dry over the next two days, but the moisture pushes in on your Tuesday. Thompson Okanagan will see uh, Monday evening and Tuesday morning with the chance of flurries changing over to showers. And Whistler for your Sunday, fantastic, plenty of sunshine, a few flurries in the mix, but not much in terms of accumulation on Monday. It'll change back over to rain and across the island. Quite chilly for the overnight tonight. The wind chill dropping down to minus three. And then for Monday, as early as the morning hours for the northern and central sections of the island, that's where we're seeing the rain pushing in. It'll be heavy at times. And a reminder once again, before you go to bed tonight, make sure you set that clock one hour ahead uh, for your Sunday. We'll see plenty of sunshine. Temperatures are going to bump up. We may get into the double digits for tomorrow up to 10 degrees. Monday, the bulk of the moisture will start to fall by the afternoon, continuing towards our Tuesday, clear towards the evening. Wednesday, Thursday, back into some sunshine. Tomorrow, very pleasant with a high of 10 degrees. Jen? Spring might come after all. Thanks yes. so much. It's that time of the year in the WHL season when the league pauses to thank parents who billet players across Western Canada. In our Leaders Off the Ice series, we feature a veteran who's the embodiment of the program. Val Weisner is a bundle of nerves. Billet mom to Red Deer Rebels forward Brandon Hagel, Weisner cares as much as if he were her own son. You're pretty emotional. The, the hits, you take them all, I'm sure, for the boys. And, and when they excel, you, you just glow. To have someone that can support you and love you just like your mom can, then it means the world to me. Billet families provide room and board, but it's the intangibles that mean the most. A shorthanded goal. For the Calgary Flames' Travis Hamanick played in the WHL for both Moostraw and Brandon. When you're 16, you're still a kid, you know. You need people looking out for you. You need people that uh, are, are sitting there, uh, you know, with your best interests at heart. Weisner was inspired to join the league's billet program after a WHL player visited her daughter on her 12th birthday, just days after her husband had died. That was nearly 16 years and close to 20 billet sons ago. You get really attached to these kids. They're, they're like family and I'm proud of them all. Congratulations, Val. Which is why Wisner was one of four billet mums to be formally recognized by the league this season. In partnership with the Chatter's Beautiful Woman program, players submitted written nominations. I can't say enough about Val. She has been a billet for 15 years. Since I've been in Red Deer, she has been a second mother to me. She does nothing but spoil me and my teammates. When I say spoil them, I'm waking up to a smoothie by my shoes every morning or something special. Thanks for everything, Val. Is she the coolest billet mom ever? <laughs> uh, well, I think there's a reason she got the award. <laughs> Deb Matijka, Global News. Great. Yeah, they get very close. The uh, billet families, like they're, they're their families, their own family, their own kids. A lot of NHL kids she has looked after. There, Christopher yeah. Stieg, a lot of them. Yeah. she's the lady. She's the one. <laughs> All right, now it has been a crazy, kooky day downtown. People a having a lot of fun. Lots going on. A lot of uh, great costumes. Uh -huh. A lot of great energy at BC Place, and hopefully some great rugby from Canada. Thanks, Jen. Uh, Canada was hoping a raucous crowd at BC Place could give them the boost they need to have a memorable weekend at the HSBC Canada Sevens. It didn't start well, getting thumped 38-7 by Samoa in the opener. Up next was Fiji, one of the top sides in the world and the defending champs of this event at BC Place. But Canada got a lot of juice from that crowd and they pulled off a stunner of an upset. Let's take a look. Uh, yeah, there you go. Four Canadian gorillas. Costumes were fantastic today at BC Place. Canada and Fiji were tied at 12 at the half, but Canada takes the lead. It's Mike Fulafau barging his way in for the try. And they would make the conversion. So it's 1912 Canada 
in front. Now Fiji battled back to tie it, but with just over two minutes to go, Richmond's Nathan Hirayama, Canada's all-time leading seven scorer, shows that blazing speed, pulls away, tracked down right there. But here comes North fans Harry Jones to finish the job, takes it in for the try. 26-19 Canada. They fend off a late Fiji attack and they hang on for one of their greatest wins ever in sevens as they knock off mighty Fiji 26-19. Evens the record at 1-1. One one. So, Canada then had to beat Kenya in their final match just an hour or so ago to uh, stay in contention for the cup. A loss, they'd have to go to the consolation side tomorrow. A great start. Already 5-0 Canada. Great play by Harry Jones. Chips it to himself, then finds victorious Connor Braid, 12-0 Canada. Then one more from Braid, who outmuscles the Kenyans, races in for another try. Hiriyama did not play this match on the hobble right now. We'll see if he can play tomorrow. 19-0 Canada, 19-14 at the half. Second half, Braid gets his third try of the game. Up the middle, 26-14. And Vancouver's Phil Berna, local boy, scores another try for Canada, 36-21. Two and one, but they needed help from Samoa to beat Fiji, but Fiji just won 31-17. So Canada has to settle for the consolation or challenge side of the draw tomorrow. Home stadium, I guess, home advantage. Uh, the boys have been working hard all year with that little, uh, you know, we had a bit of a setback at the beginning of the year, but boys have come in to work every day and, and put a shift in, so it's good to see it coming through. And like I said, I think we let everyone down against Samoa, but it's good to see everybody step up and kind of uh, jump back in there for the last two games. Too bad, falling just short of the uh, cup side. The uh, Whitecaps have landed themselves a quality international player, but only for a short time. They've acquired Iraqi national team defender Ali Adnan on loan until June. Adnan currently plays for the uh, Udinese in Italy's uh, top pro league, Serie A, and he will return there in July. But the Caps will have him for a few months anyway. Today, the Caps played their first road game of the year at Real Salt Lake. Midfielder Andy Rose... Former Seattle Sounder getting his first start with the Caps. 20th minute, Jake Nerwinski called for a foul in the box. If you remember last week, same thing, although this one, he may have made contact, but the player was going down at the time. A very iffy call, but the penalty stands, and Albert Rusnak hammers it in from the spot to make it 1-0 at the half. The Caps did not create much today. Here's one chance, Jordy Reyna from distance, but off the target. Then Nerwinski will swing a ball into the box. Daniel Henry, who scored last week, makes great contact, but right at the RSL goalkeeper Nick Romando. So it remains 1-0. 22-year-old South Korean In Biom Hwang then curls the left footer just wide. Great attempt, but Mark DeSantos and the Caps fall short again. 1-0 final, so they're 0-2 on the season. Next up at Houston next Saturday. The Canucks are at home to Vegas tonight, 7 o'clock start. It would have been interesting to see how the Canucks would have stacked up down the stretch had they not had that rash of injuries right after the All-Star break. Losing Berchi, Tanev, Edler, Sutter, and Vertanen in pretty rapid fashion kind of killed the momentum. They are 4-9-3 and three in their last 16 games out of the playoff race. But it looks like Jake Vertanen will be back tonight after suffering a rib injury three and a half weeks ago in Anaheim. Yeah, it's going to be exciting to get back in the lineup. And, um, you know, it's... Maybe counting down the minutes before the game, I, you know, it's only been like about three three weeks and a bit, but it's felt felt a lot longer than that. So uh, I'm excited to get back in. Well, it's a great challenge. It was a good challenge in Vegas that we didn't step to the plate. Uh, we weren't good. And we're, 
I've said it, I've talked about it. I'm expecting our team to be a lot better tonight and embrace the challenge. You're playing a team that's trying to win a Stanley Cup. They're trying to get their game geared up for the playoffs. And uh, I expect our team to play better tonight. NHL tonight, Oilers on a four-game win streak, trying to make a late desperate charge for the playoffs, hosting the Maple Leafs, who are finishing off their Western swing. West fans, Morgan Riley, the birthday boy, the knuckler from the point, beats Anthony Storlars at Riley's 18th, made it 1-0. John Tavera scored there. It was 3-0 Leafs late. Edmonton got two in the final two minutes, but Toronto hangs on 3-2. Welcome back. Well, for the last few years, people who knew tennis said, watch out for this kid from Montreal, Felix Auger-Aliassime. Well, the time has come, and the 18-year-old is living up to the hype. He made his first ATP final just a couple of weeks ago in Brazil, and he has jumped his ranking from the low 100s into the top 60, and he kept the momentum going today at Indian Wells, which has all of the top players in the world in the field. Felix playing a second-round match today on center court against Stefanos Tsitsipa, world rank number 10. He's from Greece, only 20 years old, a very exciting next-gen player, but so is Felix, two years younger, took it to Tsitsipa, first set, already up a break. Aggressive to the net, tough little backhand volley there, wins the point. Like his buddy Denis Shapovala, Felix is pleasing to watch. Such flair, hammers the forehand winner from the baseline, took the opening set 6-4. Second set, Felix broke early again, and then this piece of magic rips the backhand down the line. Magnificent shot, breaks again to go up 5-2. And then on match point, it's... Another big serve and a service winner for Oje Aliasim, who is on his way to the third round as he breezes past a very good player, Stefano Tsitsipas, 6-4, 6-2. Next up, two of the biggest servers in tennis, Milos Raonic of Canada, of course, versus Sam Querrey of the U.S. First set, Milos facing break point, but comes up with a fantastic passing shot down the line, ends up holding serve, took the opening set in a tie break. Now, Milos has the orange socks and the pink shoes. Does that match? I guess if you're 6'5", you wear what you want. Works for Milos. Match point. Another booming serve sets up the uh, put-away smash at net. And Raonic beats Query 7-6-6-4. Moves on to the third round at Indian Wells. Denis Shapovalov plays his second-round match tomorrow. Third round of the Arnold Palmer Invitational from beautiful Bay Hill in Orlando, Florida. Adam Hadwin, early tea time. Had a great round, a 4-under-68, thanks in part to this chip-in birdie at 17. Hadwin at 3-under, tied for 23rd, along with Roger Sloan of Merritt. Sloan 2-over today, but still in the top 25. Rory McIlroy had a sizzling Saturday. Birdies, his final hole, the 18th, 6-under-66. Rory at 8-under, had the lead for a while, but Englishman Matthew Fitzpatrick passed him. 5-under-67 for Fitzpatrick, who's got a one-shot lead on Rory. Second-round leader Tommy Fleetwood struggled 4-over-75. He's at 5-under. Briar playoffs from Brandon, the 3-4 matchup. Brad Gushu and Team Canada, two-time defending champs of the Briar, taking on the wild-card entrant. Edmonton's Brendan Botcher came down to the eighth end, tied at 2 Botcher with the hammer and a fantastic shot to score 4. He wins at 7-2, so he advances to the semis as Gushu is eliminated, and Botcher will meet the loser of tonight's one-two-page playoff between Alberta and Northern Ontario. And BC Boys Basketball Championship for a semis last night. Number seven, Kelowna Owls in the yellow versus Terry Fox Ravens. Kelowna's Hunter Simpson 
getting the basket here. And Jacob Manville will respond for Terry Fox as he drives, draws the foul and count it. This game back and forth. Terry Fox actually had a 10-point lead at one time. But Kelowna goes on to win it. Parker Johnstone with the drive and basket. 74-67 as the seven seed Owls win. Lord Tweedsmer, the Panthers taking on number five, Burnaby South. Tweedsmer already knocked off number one, Holy Cross, in the quarters, and they do it again. Elijah Devison will score there for Tweedsmer. Arjun Samra had a game-high 35, including this drive to the basket as Lord Tweedsmer wins. 75-64, they'll take on Kelowna. 8-15 final tonight at the LEC. We'll have highlights at 11. And EPL Saturday, first place Manchester City at home to Watford. Second half, 1-0 City, and this is pretty, pretty for City. It's Raheem Sterling just has to tap it in the wide-open net, his second of the match, 2-0. And then Sterling had to work a little harder for his hat-trick goal. Great through ball by David Silva. Strong finish from Sterling. City win at 3-1. Now four points up on Liverpool who play home to Burnley tomorrow. Southampton at home to Tottenham. Spurs trying to hold on to a top four spot. Harry Kane, who else? Opens the scoring, 200th career goal for club and country for Kane. But the second half was a stunner. 18th place Southampton equalize, and then five minutes later, James Ward-Prowse with a cracker on the set piece. Two won the final, St. Shock Spurs, a crucial three points for Southampton. We stay two points clear of relegation. Here's a look at your snow report for today. Whistler Blackcomb with a base of 245. 315 for Grouse, Cypress with one new centimeter, and Sasquatch with a base of 249. Nine new centimeters of snow for Revelstoke, Fernie with a base of 229, one new centimeter for Manning Park, and five for Whitewater. Big White with one new centimeter, Silver Star base of 208, and Sun Peaks with a centimeter of new snow. Kicking Horse with a base of 175, 225 for Mount Washington, and 260 for Powder King. Well, the stands at BC Place weren't just filled with crazy costume today. Love was also in the air. That's John Graff getting down on one knee, asking his longtime partner, Anna, to marry him. John is a former Canadian National Rugby Team member. He and Anna have been together for 14 years, and she said to him a while back that if he's ever going to pop the question, he better do it in a big way. Well, he did. <laughs> I'm so in love with this guy. I'm, I'm so happy. I'm so happy. <laughs> I'm a lucky guy. So. My son was there, my friends were there. This venue was perfect. It's worked out really, really well. I'm pretty excited. Lots of happiness to them. Congratulations. Yeah, he's got a flutter for the dramatic, and he'll always have his proposal on tape. Yes. That's for sure. Good thing she, she said, said yes. yes. She said yes. <laughs> Daytime. Don't forget to change your clock. Spring forward. Have a good night.